Geekly Yoked is a proud member of the Crossover Nexus. To find more blogs and podcasts about the intersection of faith and pop culture, check out crossovernexus.com. Tell them Bilbo sent you. So many ways to say I love you in different languages across the land. You haven't heard them all, so I'll tell you as only a true geek can. Hello and welcome to Geekly Yoked, the world's best married Christian geek podcast. As always, I'm Lehman Kessler. And I'm Rachel Kessler. That's Mother Rachel Kessler. I am a priest here in the Episcopal Diocese of Ohio and the chaplain at the fine Kenyon College. And I'm a stay-at-home dad and H.P. Lovecraft impersonator. And now you can officially say that you're well, like no, the priest. Well, no, except I'm... Well, I, I am, but I still don't think I'm technically in the Episcopal Church. You... Your, your status is very strange. <laughs> I know. It is hard to keep track. But you were officially installed. I was, except I wasn't installed because I'm not the rector. They, I was, my new ministry was celebrated. They gave you keys. They did. Fake keys that didn't do anything. But they gave them to you. I know, and it confused everyone. Because they're like, but the church doesn't lock. Yeah. A bishop showed up. They did. So, yeah, that's great. something. Um, yes, I was, I was, I'm officially my new job, new position. You got a hood. I did get a hood. That confused people too. You, you're double hooded now. <laughs> They're like, why are you getting a hood? They're not conferring a degree. I was like, we just needed something to symbolize, <laughs> symbolize the academic institution. And I am technically a graduate of Kenyon College. It's true. Well, I mean, I'm not technically, I am like... I just, I am a graduate of Kenyon College, yes. so, like, I can receive a hood <laughs> for the degree that I have. One of so many. You do have a lot I of have degrees. have a lot of degrees. You've, you've had to, you've had to <laughs> do a lot, lot of... of letters after my name. <laughs> I have three graduate degrees. So that was part of our excitement of the last few weeks. Was ah, yes. Getting, getting ready for uh, Rachel's big celebration of ministry. Yes. But you're still not an Episcopal priest? I think I ha I still have to get I have to get grilled and examined on the doctrine and history of the Episcopal Church. Sherry? Something. Gin like and that. tonics? Yes. Okay. How to how do I have to be schooled in how to properly make a gin and tonic. Nice. What else has been going on in the past little bit? Floundering? <laughs> I don't Questioning think, what? everything what i don't i don't think that's been the entirety of the last few weeks last trying to get, take a nap oh uh, yes the, the quest continues for trying to take a nap in this household which is difficult with small goblin children what's been going on with you um i f got to have fun play dates with with cute with little neighborhood girls and see amanda run around and dance to hungarian folk songs about shaking the devil in a cage that sounds pretty cool i got to finish watching gallivant and now i am stuck with sunday evenings that have no new gallivant and for five beautiful weeks i had new gallivant and now it's all gone and though though my heart Wishes there will be more. My head knows that it's probably not true. Sleepy Hollow inexplicably is still on television. It is inexplicably still on television. And man, that is a show that has struggled to find its, like... Essence? Well, it had its essence. The first season was about so to say. ridiculous. Like, like, the first season was on point. And then, in, in the sense of 
being strange and ridiculous and whimsical and wonderful. And then it was a victim of its own success, I think. And the producers were like, what is this? What is this TV show that has strong women of color? None of that. None of none of that. We need... You know what this show was lacking? This show was lacking white men. Mm, yes. Um, has it and, lost its sense of silliness? Because every time I look at it, it looks silly. Well, it is silly, but like the silly is just feels like they're throwing a bunch of stuff out to figure out. Whereas like, at least in the first season, the silliness was like at least rooted in some kind of mythology of like the American Revolution and okay. trying to stop the rise of demons. demons to bring about the apocalypse and and Ichabod and Abby being the two witnesses foretold in the Book of Revelation to stop. Like, like there was a, a, a kind of coherence that acted as a foundation to the absurdity of the show. Who was there? Well, in this, like, you felt like there was a coherent world building going on okay. in some way. And now it's just like, Monster you know what we needed? Well, no, now it's like, we should have the main villain be Pandora from Greek myth. Oh, because I see. that seems cool. And aren't there Japanese demons now? Yeah, it's very strange. It's 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 getting late season Xena and Hercules. A little bit late season Xena and Hercules, which I, is not a bad thing. And like they they remember that Ginny Mills was an amazing character, but uh, Frank Irving, as played by uh, Orlando Jones, is not in the show anymore, which is very sad. That is very sad. Do we do we need to take a moment and and mourn the potential passing of of Gallivant? I feel like I feel like I should comment on how beautifully it ended. Oh man, the last shot, the last just like fifteen seconds of that show might be like my favorite ending of a show ever. That's that is hardcore. I don't know. Well, just in terms of like like last lingering shot and how it sums up so much is it as good as the ending of season one was bad yes okay oh the ending of season one was bad i mean it wasn't bad because you got your second season but like it could have been really bad well we talked about about sort of television shows that ended and we sort of which ones we felt did well which ones we felt did bad do we want to do sort of a quick kind of rehashing of that and some of like our top favorite I don't know i mean i just figure we had i i just i think gallivant is going to be a very interesting example of this very quirky strange short-lived show and i think the first season is an example of how to do that really badly right because the first season could have been a really nice little self-contained narrative yeah um that was like an eight episode effectively miniseries that then ended and you could watch as like a fun little eight episode arc but then they ended it so badly that you basically couldn't really just watch the first season as an end in and of itself because the finale was just depressing depressing and everyone is split up and nothing is resolved and the whole finale is just like they're running around in circles well, and you said really they lost anything. audience because of that for the second season i think season. they did i think they did because people were so upset and then the second season is just a perfect example of like I feel like so many of the characters had just really well sculpted arcs. Yeah. Like they just did a really good job with almost every single character giving them here's where they are at the beginning and here's where they are at the end. And and it was like a really interesting 
like each one of them had a really nicely developed arc that then came to, and they were split up in like three different locations. So they were like, here's Richard and Gallivant and they're off on their journey. And here's Isabella with like a lot of the strange ensemble cast over here in this place. And Madalena and Gareth. And then Madalena and Gareth and Sid. (laughs) For some reason. Poor Sid. um, Are over here. And like they, all of those, like they managed to tell three really interesting separate stories. I mean, obviously the, the main heart of the season is in Richard, who in the first season is the villain who sets off the whole thing by kidnapping Gallivan's girlfriend and is like the mustache twirling evil villain of a fairy tale. Yeah. And by the end of the first season, he's so pitiful and Timothy Ombudsman... Uh, Timothy. Well, at least I wasn't calling him Timothy Oliphant. Completely justified. <laughs> anyway, the guy who played the hashtag King's Beard. Yes. Um, which is a hashtag. Uh, was just so good and so compelling that the character basically, like, basically, Richard became the protagonist of season two. Although, like, like it was almost more about. I mean, ostensibly, the 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 driving force of season two is Gallivant trying to raise an army to go back and rescue Isabella. But that's just kind of the MacGuffin that gives Richard a cause to go on this, like, incredibly deep emotional journey and, like, discover who he is and actually kind of become the hero of the series. But season one was using him a lot, right? I mean, season one, he was essentially... season one was using him a lot, but he was still, like, he was the pathetic, ineffectual villain, but he was still the villain. I mean, he was still, like, he was the scene-stealing villain and his performance was amazing, but he was not, you would not have watched season one and assumed that he would come out at the end of the thing as, like, the hero. No, not necessarily. But, like, the way they played him up, like, his POV stuff with the Xanax episode. Yeah, but I think that was that was at the very, very tail end. Of oh, the, was it? Okay. I mean, that, that came later. Okay. It's hard to tell. It's all sort of squished, and you, you just, I just watch kind it of over watch and over the best, again. Like, I just kind of watch all the different <laughs> songs over and over again um, with our daughter. So, I mean, that was that was fascinating. And then, like, I think what they did with Madalena in, mm. you know, when it begins, she's basically just Buttercup from the Princess Bride who decides to stay with Humperdinck to... Humperdinck. Yeah. Um, and by the end of the first season, she's obviously decided that she's going to, like, claim being the evil queen. But she becomes, like, the full-on villain of the piece through the second season. But even that is tempered by the fact that she kind of falls in love with Gareth and she does like legitimately love him, but she loves evil and power more. And but, like, I think Mallory Jensen was able to play that with just incredible nuance. You don't think that was undercut by the evil wedding planner guy? I love the evil. I love that. the I loved that the evil guy was also a wedding planner. But I mean, you don't feel like he was essentially... I don't know. Like, I feel like he was the main villain and sort of using her and using, like... But she, but she clearly, uh, but I think she chose to go with the didu. Yes. The dark, dark, evil way, uh, of her own volition. And by the, by the end of the finale, she is, like, he is, he's defeated and she is going off to discover the dark path on her own. Okay. I mean, I think it's... He just felt like the more direct threat throughout. Well, I mean, the he season. was the more direct threat, but I think he offered something that she wanted. Okay. Right, and she wanted, like, she wanted to go capture, like, go off on make Izzy her her mate, her handmaiden. I don't know, <laughs> but um, 
I don't know. I thought that. Like, I just, I thought her emotion that, like, they, they took this character who was so vapid and shallow and selfish and gave her, through the course of the season, gave her a sense of vulnerability and then had her fall in love and you thought for a minute that she was actually going to kind of be human and then she decides to go with power. And I think that, like, I don't know, that, again, it was a depth to that character that you would not have seen in the first season. And then even Isabella, who, I mean, sometimes in the, some of the reviews that I've read, the, the main critique of season two is that Gallivant and Isabella are just kept apart for so long. And then they get back together in the season finale and it's like they're not able to actually deal with the ramifications of their relationship or it's just a little too easy. But and that and that Isabella doesn't get, you know, that when she th- so so in the course of the second season, Isabella thinks that Gallivant has broken up with her and she gets really depressed and then she's enchanted and then she becomes like warrior princess and. I've heard people say, well, Isabella should have been stronger than that. If she thought Gallivant broke up with her, she shouldn't, she should have just gone off and done her own thing. But the whole story of Gallivant is about how Gallivant's heart is broken in the very first episode. Yeah. And he loses his way for like a year and needs Isabella to like bring him back to what it means to be a hero and everything. So if we can allow a guy to have his heart broken by his girlfriend and like lose his way and sink into despair and depression why can't we allow isabella when she thinks gallivant has broken her heart to have one episode's worth of like angst angst and depression it was it was the mind control stuff that i found a little squeaky but but like it didn't go on for very long i suppose it like it only really lasted one full episode okay and then like the tail end of one episode and the beginning of the next one but really only one full episode and I think the whole point is that she, A, Karen David is just really, really funny. And I think it's fun to see her playing like vapid, cheerful, like bridezilla. Okay. When you can also see her playing like army warlord. Okay. And so I think it gives her just like, I think it as a fun, like. Thing to do. Demonstration of her range, I think is, was probably a cool thing. And also, like, when she, like, the tiara that's enchanting her is broken and she, like, realizes what's been done to her, I think she makes a comment that, like, I want to be my own person and not be controlled by, like, my broken heart or these other people that are trying to control me. And, like, realizing that she wasn't really being her own person when she was so brokenhearted over Gallivant Uh, either. okay. And, like, she was just as much enslaved and enchanted to herself when she was moping over Gallivant as she was when Wormwood was trying to use her to take over the kingdom. Oh, right. He had a name. He did have a name. <laughs> and so I really liked Gallivant and I thought the second season was really good. And even though that maybe I'm a huge shipper and I would have liked Gallivant and Isabella to have gotten together before the final episode, I really, really, I, I really just like the character of Isabella and I really like Karen David. And I was glad. I think that if they had reunited them earlier she would have gotten shortchanged mm. and like she was able to be more of her own person and find herself in those episodes than she would have had she and Gallivant reunited earlier. Okay. And I just, I thought they did, I just thought the second season was a really great example of how you can have just a few episodes and really chart out uh, a really clear arc and end something so that the storylines you set up at the beginning of the season are like really neatly resolved in a way that gives all of them the the 
the time that they deserve, but then leave things open for the end. And, and for we- like, like there, there are still clearly like what's going to happen with Madalena. Is she going to like find the dark, dark evil Lord and who, become... is, an, who is an event planner or a fashion, uh, a fashion consultant? Uh, say, and, if, there, if there is a third season, which seems implausible, but a second season was implausible. Exactly. If there is a third season, what would you like to see? Because it seems like the first season was a bizarre setup for a cliffhanger in a weird way. And the yeah. season two was like, let's have everyone go through some sort of dynamic change. And like, <laughs> like you know, everyone is different by the end of it. Like Sid is a real knight by the end yeah. of it. Gareth has discovered love by the end of it. The baker I mean, it's, it's one of these things where alive. like I almost... Yeah, the baker is alive. Um, I... Almost don't want there to be a third season. Okay. Like as much as I hate saying that, because like I, I think that we as viewing audiences need to be satisfied with stories that end. Mm. And like the British, like the British. Maybe maybe this will lead into our theme for the day. Being Indeed. being able to uh, to deal with the transients um, and that that nothing nothing lasts forever. But I mean, I would love to see. I mean, I would love to see just like a season of Madalena being evil and maybe being redeemed by the end of it. Okay. Like if it's if it's if Gallivant was if the if the first season was Gallivant finding himself and like if there is a resolution by the end of the first season, it is that Gallivant has rediscovered what it means to be a hero for him. Yes. Right. Um, and even though so much of it ends like completely unresolved and everyone scattered to the winds, at least there has been a resolution in the sense that it was about Galavan's journey. And if the second season was primarily about Richard, um, and he was the real star of the second season, maybe the third season could be about Gareth. Mm. I don't know. Or maybe it should be about one of the women. Maybe. (laughs) That would be nice too. It's my one criticism of Gallivant. Like, the only two female characters really hate each other, and, like, they have to laugh about, like, them having catfights. Oh, which yeah. Which I was not super, super, yeah. super keen on. Um, they, yeah. like the main, and, the, the, and, and King Richard's dragon. Yes. Yeah, That's good. the best. That was the, the, yeah. I will not spoil it in case anyone <laughs> needs to see the last 15 seconds of Gallivant, but... Uh, well, yes, we, we were thinking about we were thinking about shows that ended well, and, and as I said, we've we've done a kind of uh, episode looking at ending. I think that one was based on you finishing Fringe, so that should give you an oh, idea of maybe. How, okay. how long yeah. ago that was. Right. Um, and we've done our, uh, our our obviously our episode about the ending of of Hannibal. Yes. And and the like. Um, but but there is something about this idea of endings, and and you know American shows just not ending. Yeah. And. Um, it it oddly juxtaposes this idea of ending and appreciating what you've got uh, juxtaposes quite well <laughs> with a piece of theater we saw last We're night. We're back at Kenyon, so we get to go see... The- and I have to say, like, I was, like, seeing the main stage Kenyon College Dramatics Club show was, like, as good as anything we saw in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. We didn't I see mean, a lot in Toronto. Well, okay, we didn't go see... We, we don't go to do things. But I mean, like, it's... I was like, oh, it's great to be back at Kenyon because, like, this is... I, I was I was actually thinking about the scene in the Gilmore Girls when uh, Lorelai and Rory are trying to figure out where Rory should go to school and Lorelai puts Yale in a pro column because they have a great drama club and Rory's like, but I don't want to take drama. And she's like, yes, but it means you get to go see good shows. And that's yes. what I was thinking about, being back at a place like Kenyon because... You know, just being part of the community, we get to benefit from how awesome it is to be around 
good theater. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's like, and, our talented and it's, people. And, and it's so funny, you know, being someone who was in those shows, like just kind of a, trying to imagine the, the, the crazy backspace, you know, backstage oh, yes. sort of wandering around and knowing how the... Well, the, it was a big cast and crew. There was a lot. And I forgot how many people are in our town. Yes. Did yes. We, did we actually say that our town was we the show? We saw our town. Which is getting into this theme of transience and impermanence and... And this is funny. This is a funny place because despite being a drama uh, major and doing, I, I, I appreciated of, our member of the congregation, who's one of your former drama professors, who was like, "How did you not know our town?" I had never seen our town. Like I have seriously, like you know, you didn't even know how it ended. I didn't know. Oh. Like not only had you not seen it, you did not <laughs> know the big twist of our town. My 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 knowledge of our town was, I think I somehow conflated it with the Fantastics, which I do know and have seen. <laughs> And also that one that one play Fantastics. where they have to like put on like a show to save the old rec hall, you know. There's like is that like every Mickey Rooney and Julie Garland movie? Well, that might be it. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, like that's when you say like our town, that's what my head goes to is we got to save the old rec center and like oh I'm gonna put this tent up between our sons and daughters. I don't know. Like that's my fantastic strangeness. Um, I I know what our town was. That's what the, the, okay. the I knew. I knew there was. A I stage knew manager. what our town was. I knew there was this narrator, and I knew. That, I knew what our town was. <laughs> I knew that Spalding Gray played him at one point, uh, but that was it. That was the like entirety of my our town knowledge. And so you know, oh, they're putting on our town at Kenyon, and we're gonna we're gonna go see it. And Rachel suddenly this cloud <laughs> of darkness appears over her head. I'm like. You're upset about that save the town hall play? <laughs> and then we go see it. And it's not about saving a town hall. I'm not quite sure what it's about. Life? I suppose. The the intransience of, of, of life or the, the, the juxtaposition of life and theater and the impermanence of it. And it's it's hey, I didn't realize this was a play from the thirties. Like, oh, okay. like like my my ignorance about this is just all over the place. So you know, I, I was thinking of it as this kind of, you know, 50s or 60s, you know, hokey sort of thing. Instead of being this bizarre, experimental, quasi-Brechtian piece where you do have this, this you know, stage manager reaching out and breaking the fourth wall and, like, directing the, the, the action the and being this and... kind of godlike figure. I mean, it was really well staged. Yeah. And I mean, good, it was, very good acting. It was a really good performance, but I was like... I still don't like our town. What? Why don't you like our town, Rachel? I just okay. So if anyone has not read our town, apparently like <laughs> Lehman, if you did not read our town in like tenth grade English, it is our tenth grade English was was uh, uh, British. Uh, that was our, our British literature course. So we were reading I tests see. of the Ubervilles, which I actually like. The worst book. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so the, so the first act is like a day in the life and it's all about like the, the, the 1900s America, 1900s Americana and simplicity and, and just this ordinary little town and these two neighboring families. And then act two is love and marriage and the two, like the children from the two families and they're leading up to their wedding. And then the final act is death and the, the, wife has died giving birth to their second child and um the big dramatic scene at the end of the the play is that she wants to um go back and relive a day of her life and so she goes back and relives her 12th birthday and she realizes that that no one appreciates life as they are living it 
And see, this was my, like, weird kind of dramaturgical sort of hat. I'm like, why are they, like, going back and reviewing this, like, scene that we haven't seen before? Like, I feel like it would have been more interesting mm, to, to, like... For it to have been, a, like, that, to go back to the first act Yeah, to go back to the first day. act or see some yeah. element. But they're like, no, it can't yeah. be an important day. But, like, because it's so, this bizarre, like, let's look at theater and let's look at like the strangeness of theater. It would have been interesting to go back to that original day. Well and I'm thinking like noises off right yeah. where you see these same scenes being played again right. and again and again and again and like it creates this really surreal f- feel um, and this this hatred <laughs> and repetition hmm. um, but but yeah that like to, to, to go back and view an earlier scene but with her commentary, like, Mother, why aren't you looking at yeah. me? Mother, yeah, like, no, absolutely. Like, something the audience yeah. itself wouldn't have picked on at the time. Right. But instead it's like, here's a birthday that we never watched and we right. don't know anything about. Um, so that was that was strange, just from a sort of, like, mm, I'm going to note this play from 1938. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Thor- it should Thornton be. Wilder, I would like to better. stress that we are talking about Thornton Wilder's play and in no way criticizing the Kenyon College production, production which yeah. was really good i i quite enjoyed the show no they, they they did a really good job with the sort of the minimalism and playing with the sort of because they can do you know kitchen, kitchen sink drama like they can yeah. i know how extensively they can do set work and they can yeah make you know so there wasn't a sort of you know oh we're just going to use uh cheap like yeah. you know <laughs> rehearsal blocks and whatnot yeah. like that no, was, was that was really, very much it was a, really well done it was a decision um and that was, and it worked really well. Uh, the the bringing the the stained glass down for the yeah. church, um, the the yeah no there was there was a lot of really clever. Well, and just the orchestrating all of those set changes and all of those yes. people and all of those pieces, like it was just really well done. Although, but, although, although Rachel, did the like constant appearance of the the stagehands in black remind you of the sad stagehands from Zip? Because that's all I could think well, of. Well, I didn't see Zip like eight times like you did. But you still remember. I saw it once. It was so good. <laughs> when I was in England, the play I saw most often was a ridiculous musical comedy called Zip, 100 Musicals in 90 Minutes. It had four actors and a pianist, and one of those actors was a former uh, game show host and member of British Parliament, Giles Brandreth. He I mean- was amazing. Didn't he thank you when he found out how many times he was in the play? <laughs> yes, at one point there was like a meet the cast and crew. And I was like, yes, this is my fifth time seeing it. He's like, good lord, you're not one of my love children, are you? Let me let me introduce you to one of our producers. He'd be very thankful that you keep spending money on this show. Um, but they had wonderful usage of bored looking yes. stagehands constantly walking back and forth. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, but I hate our town. Uh, yeah, yes. I and and watching it again, I remembered how much I hated our town. <laughs> and I think it's because like it goes back to all the people when you have a child who tells you that like it goes so fast and savor every moment and even when they're screaming at three o'clock in the morning, you're gonna be longing for that when they're older and I just wanna tell them I don't care. <laughs> Thank well, you, Bobo. Oh, not that every parent knows that it, that that life is fleeting, and your children like th- that your children are going to grow up, and that we're getting older, and you know all of that. But dwelling on that does not make you enjoy life anymore. It just makes you depressed about how fast <laughs> and like so. And I think that the whole final act of our town, which is about like you know the dead living in this state of eternity, and because they live in the eternal, they're they're beyond the temporal things of everyday life and 
um, the people who are trapped in the blindness of temporality cannot see how fleeting it is or how precious it is. And so there's just this, like, I feel like there's this, like, there's no... I think what annoys me about Our Town is the final message at the end is not actually, it's not telling you how to stop and smell the roses, or it's not giving you a message for how you can better save her life. It's just like, yeah, we don't. So, <laughs> sucks to be you. Well, what I, I think what I was, uh, when we were talking about this earlier, you know, it's one thing to be like, oh, life is beautiful, but, but it, you know, it ends so quickly and we don't savor it. And yeah. Well, but Our Town spends like, the first two thirds showing you how banal life is and yeah. how like small and petty everyone is and no one is unique and everything is just kind of blah. But, you know, savor every moment, but ah, oh, you're wasting your life. It's like, <laughs> oh, life is meaningless, but you're not enjoying it enough. <laughs> Basically, it's just, there's, I'm not sure what the, po- like other than just making you feel depressed, I'm not sure what the positive takeaway is. And the thing that, uh, got me thinking about it was I was comparing it to a moment in Parks and Recreation when so there in the fourth season I think it is of Parks and Rec there's an episode where this like cult thinks the world's gonna and they are, they're always thinking the world's gonna end and it's like the thing that this cult does is they they like um, reserve the parks for their end of the world celebrations and in the midst of this like strange cult thinking that the world is gonna end all the other characters are like thinking about what it would mean if it was their last night on Earth. And Leslie, who has just broken up with Ben, who is the love of her life, um, is talking to the ever-sage Ron Swanson about how, like, she wishes she hadn't broken up with him, and if it was her last night on Earth, what she would want is to be with him. But the fact is, she broke up with him because she wants to run for city council, and their their relationship was a conflict of interest in the city hall, and... um, And, you know, she made a choice that she wanted to pursue this other, like, it was important for her to to run for city council and she had a job to do and she couldn't do that job while being with Ben. And Ron kind of tells her that. He's like, you know what? It's not going to be your last night on Earth. And you have to get up tomorrow morning and you still have to do your job. And you're still going to have responsibilities. And the, the stuff of life still has to get done. And I think that's, for me, I get that right okay live every day like it's going to be your last and save for every moment and life is fleeting and we don't know how much time we have and and we are you know everything is transient and yeah we can't stop and save for every moment but we can't stop and save for every moment because there is still life that has to get lived and if you are if you're just spending all of your time thinking about how fleeting it is then you're not living it and i think there's a there's something paradoxical in that, and there's maybe something contradictory in that, but at the same time, I think there's a a truth to it, and there, there's something that, there, there's like an actual positive takeaway from that, as opposed to Thornton Wilder, who just <laughs> makes you feel bad about yourself. Oh, Thornton. Anyway, that's, that's my, like, rant. On our town? On our town. So how can we then apply that to our television viewing experience? How can we enjoy television in the moment without being obsessed with its endings and how it comes and goes. Like, I mean, because Gallivant, I think, as you've shown, you would like there to be more Gallivant, but you are happy, like, the way it ended is a, it's a good ending, a, a you know, quote-unquote good death, as it were. Right. And I think I feel very similar about Hannibal. We, I just had my big Hannibal dis- uh, season three discussion over on Miskatonic Musings, where I'm now an official co-host. Excellent. Um, 
And that was the thing we talked about, right? We, we would love there to be more Hannibal. You know, like just it's a show that there's just there's a lot more stories to tell. And Brian Fuller was telling them so very well. But it was a good ending. Yeah. Like it was a, a beautiful, poetic ending. Yeah. And, you know, what, you know, is it, is it, is it worth it? Like, is a good ending that like just, you know, ties everything up? Does that make, is that, you know, make you happy for the fact that you're not going to get any more? Or should, you know, you just try to like pull and squeeze and get all you can out of, um, out of television or out of, you know, what, what you love to view? Uh, our, our good friend Andrew Crabtree, uh, I, I started up a discussion about TV and which TV shows ended well and which ones mm. didn't. Uh, his answer was, the only two TV shows that like ended when they should have and therefore ended well were Star Trek Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Okay. All other TV shows either ended too soon or right. lingered on. Lingered on beyond, yeah. Necessity. And and ending is hard. I mean, that's what we talked about, I think, in the last the last... Uh, time we did this, you know, shows that even when we like them a lot, like Lost, like Battlestar Galactica, by the time they get to the end, it's just either they 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 don't stick the landing, yeah, and the ending is just this like, wait, what? Everyone's an angel now? I don't what? Or wait, they're in purgatory, but it's not purgatory. What? Yeah. I guess we shouldn't just be picking on poor mid mid two thousand television. Yeah, but but even show you know even shows before that um, that that ended on sort of kind of bizarre notes. I mean, I guess Babylon 5 had its... Well, Babylon 5 got just the worst of both worlds. Yeah. The the rushed final ending. And but then, then... <laughs> more story than they had to tell, so... And Angel had that kind of that rushed ending, but they stuck the landing, right? I mean, Arguably. I don't... I, I think... I would say it is controversial. It has a dragon. It does have a dragon. So... The ending... Good endings. This is the theme here. Good endings have surprise <laughs> dragons. Also, so, a Galahad reference. <laughs> <laughs> for those keeping track at home. So yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, you know, as somebody because of, I don't, I just don't watch television as much anymore, right? Yeah. And it, so it's hard for me to think about like shows and how they end and like how I want shows to go on. Were we talking? I thought we were talking. I thought I thought this was going to be a podcast on shows that deal with themes of transience and impermanence. I thought we we were going to get behind the behind the podcast mic here. I thought we decided not to talk about show endings. That's the last I th- thought we were talking about show endings. If no, you have we talked. To- I said we were going to talk about. You didn't want to talk about show endings, so I said we should talk about shows that deal with themes of impermanence and transience, like Dead Like Me and Toilet Seats. Basically. Oh, okay. That I, wasn't that wasn't communicated to that me. That was like the conversation we had thirty seconds before we started recording. I did not. I was not. That part was. Of that, exactly, that, I was not part of that conversation. You did not want to talk about show endings because we'd already covered that too much. That seemed to be where so this I conversation said, was and going. And you said you were going to talk about about Schmidt, and so you were happy to have the conversations well, about. That's not that. a show. That's a movie. <laughs> but we were going to talk about things that dealt with transience and life. And bleakness? And, yes. I like about Schmidt. Rachel <laughs> anyway, has never seen about Schmidt. Is, I refuse. I hate our town and I will not watch about Schmidt. But Clearly about Sh- there is a theme. <laughs> this is the making of Geekwilly Yoked. We plan out our podcast for you with sure great uh, detail. Indeed we do. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, about okay, about Schmidt and its parallels with, with our town, it really is that, again, sort of trying to point to how we waste our lives either pretending we're never going to die and therefore sort of living meaninglessly but i don't know i i like those men i like i like those because i'm just a, a horrible sadist when it comes to like viewing my 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 people on tv and films and i like to see i like a message of someone 
spending their entire life sacrificing their life towards some greater goal, but that's meant to serve what they're sacrificing. So the person who, you know, works religiously to provide for his family, but then loses his family because he's never around because he's been working religiously or Breaking Bad, you know, where, although Breaking Bad did a pretty, I find, I, there's a show I finally saw the ending oh, okay. for. I finally saw the ending of Breaking Bad and it definitely ended, it ended somewhat more redemptively than I thought it would. And mm. it's ended a while back, so I don't feel bad about spoiling stuff yes. for it. But like, it, I, I was expecting it to end on a much darker note for Walter White. And 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 there's a lot of death and a lot of <laughs> murder and terribleness, um, but there is somewhat more redemption than than I thought there was going to be, um, and that was that was nice. Uh, it took me a very long time to finish finish it. That was that man. That was a show where like I blitzed through the first few seasons and then sort of slowed to a trickle. Right. Although a baby showed up, so I'm gonna hopefully yeah. blame it on that. But no, they did a very good job of playing with this idea of like, what is your life worth and what are you actually living for? And therefore, what is what are you dying for in a, in a way? How about you? Uh, dead Like Me in Toilet Seats? <laughs> oh, Dead Like Me. I did not watch that TV movie. I did not watch that TV movie either. That was a show that ended. That, that, show, that was a show that did not stick the landing. Did it or did it just not get a chance to stick the landing? Well, the, the the final, like, TV season was okay but not great. Right. And it sort of ended on a, like, meh note. And then I think that's what the TV movie was right. meant to do, was to yeah. wrap it up. But then they couldn't get Mandy Patinkin for it. Which is really unfortunate. Which is sort but of I what mean, you But I mean, I think that's another interesting... I mean, like, the fact that she... It, the randomness of death, right? Yeah. I think that's one of the things that... So, uh, Dead Like Me, if you are not familiar with it, is one of the earlier Brian Fuller works about a young woman uh, around 18 who is killed by a Russian seat, uh, a, a toilet seat that breaks off of a Russian space station as it's re-entering orbit. Sure. And just randomly killed, um, but becomes a Grim Reaper. And uh, is, because she dies in like a freak accident, is assigned to freak accidents. Yes. And it's just, it's very much about um the randomness of death and how the the dead relate to the living and and that you know the different paths that the li- I mean then there's there's the intersection with our town right because that that the the dead and the living being kind of existing in these two worlds together and commenting on one another yeah well well it's there's sort of three right there's the there's people who are just alive and running around there's the dead who kind of pass on and go yeah. to their strange glossy shimmery afterlife what have you and then there's the undead the grim reapers who are part of this really depressing kind of you know mid-level civil service yes uh where they can't they can't die but they still have to like find day jobs right and it's just depressing (laughs) Um, but but that well i mean that's just brian fuller doing such a good job of again playing with themes of of food and death um but also this like you know, yearning for life or yearning for something and it always being slightly out of out of reach. We were talking right. about this on the Hannibal show. Mm. Uh, specifically talking about like how he does, you know, romances where you're just out of reach. Literally in the case of uh, Pushing Daisies. Right. Right? Where like you just, you can't physically touch. Yeah. And we were talking about, you know, the, the romance between Hannibal and Will. <laughs> now it's right. a romance where they sort of can't touch because of yeah. evil and cannibalism and, and what have you. Um 
But I mean, even Dead Like Me, where there's some romancy stuff, but not no really. But it it is that like you know she wants her family back, yeah. but she can't have that back. Yeah, and she wants elements of normalcy and can't and every but can't time, actually have it. And every time she sort of touches it, it like withers it in a yeah. weird way or or corrupts it. Um, and that's that's an interesting theme, and I'm curious to see how that's going to play out when Fuller does the American, American Gods. Gods. Uh, which has a lot of those those same themes. I'm just interested in where how he's going to bring his food into it because I do think mm. there's there are lots of like roadside diners and, and whatnot. Timothy hashtag King's Beard is on deck to play Mr. Wednesday, isn't he? Uh, I've heard that, but I oh, he's so awesome! I, he's the best. I, I I do not know. He could bring Tad Cooper. <laughs> he cannot. He, he could have Tad Cooper. He cannot I believe. Be, he cannot I believe be in, King Richard. Yes. In American Gods. But he God. could still have Tad Cooper. I believe in you, Tad Cooper. <laughs> uh, stop Stop getting your fan fiction-y <laughs> silliness all over our American Gods. Uh, that is ridiculous. Um, but no, I know. I mean, that's 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 a show that, yeah, definitely played with with life and death and, and this, this sense of intransigence and, or how we deal, how we reconcile with life in the face of impermanence but here's why i like something like brian fuller's oeuvre yeah which i feel like he what what i love about his work is that he is able to play with these themes of transience and impermanence and you know in in the case of dead like me a young woman who did not appreciate her life until she lost it sure um without it feeling preachy or without you making you just feel like crap because you don't appreciate your life enough right it makes me it makes me then because because his like i mean hannibal is a great and i know we've talked about this on the podcast before that hannibal embraces things like beauty and food and like and love and our connections with one another all of these things that hannibal corrupts but it in the way that brian fuller deals with death it makes me want to embrace life. And my problem with something like Our Town is it is it gives you this lecture and this incredibly moralistic moment at the end about how you're not appreciating your life enough, but it doesn't present life as something that begs to be appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely true. And that's, that is a, uh, well, that's, intentional whether that's just meant to be 1930s weird or if it's meant to be like the life is banal but there's beauty in the banality kind of thing but it doesn't present that banality in a way that is actually beautiful no no i blame edwardian fashion i i yeah you know it's always a good thing to blame (laughs) but i think that's what that's what someone like brian fuller manages to grasp and i think that's what i what i want from that play is like okay, challenge me to think about the impermanence of life. Challenge me to think about how my daughter is growing up before my eyes and how, like, my own youth is past, if we want to get, like, really depressing about it. Okay. But <laughs> but do that in a way that makes me yearn for life and the beauty within it and the love within it and and give me something positive to reach out for instead of just... That's why I can't watch about Schmidt. <laughs> but but it's got Kathy Bates. No, but I but I think like that's I don't I don't want that out of my fiction. Fair enough. I want I want something to <coughs> reach out for. I can respect that. Inspire to. Mm. 
something that's worth being something that's worth that reaching out for even though it might always be beyond my grasp Mm. well then there we go brian fuller to the rescue as always he's the best beats the rest that's from banana phone (laughs) a song a song i knew before i had a small child and i'm done there we go you're now using billow bilbo as a pillow i am he is the billow well, I think, uh, speaking of the transience of life, oh, this, this will be... Oh, oh we have yes. to talk about our reading. Which reading? That I... No, that oh, I... Oh, that we haven't done. We haven't done. <laughs> but I have an excuse. I, I did... Re- well, I, I mean, I read more of Wild Seed, but I then had to read another book that they were having a book discussion on. Oh, right. So I read I, Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy. Oh. Fighting the death penalty in yes, impoverished Alabama. How, how was that? That was... Did that give you something to, to inspire you to reach out for? Well, it did. I mean, in the sense of, like, trying to build a more just and equitable and merciful society and that life is valuable and that we should seek to preserve it and not, like, just throw people out to execution chambers because they are seen as less than. than. I can dig it. I'm still trying to work my way through Lois and Master Bejold, and it is a slog. But also, I have some justification in that I have to read... A lot more now, because I'm a co-host on Miskatonic Musings, uh, we do a lot of reading of, of horror anthologies and stories. So I am I am reading stuff, just not like my normal kind of fun reads. I just felt like I had to be accountable to the fact that I didn't finish well. Yeah, and seed, I, I haven't, I I haven't finished any of my books I, either. Reading is hard. Well, it's also just been so busy. It's been very busy. It's true. But this is why, you know, we're... we're, we're Keeping our experiment of of being accountable to you, our our fond listeners. So, uh, you know, let us know how how your reading experiences are going. Except for you, Carlos. I saw your list of like the 80 books you're reading (laughs) once like Abe Sapien because you're a mutant. Is that all we have uh, on our our world of of endings and uh, mostly endings? No beginnings. We haven't really started anything. (laughs) Except you. You started your, your, your new ministry. That's what you've started. I did. Just not technically as an Episcopalian or something. I don't even understand. You're, I don't want to know how it works. You're still, you're a, I don't even want to know You're how still it works. a Ronin priest, Rachel. Yes. Well, that'll be it from us from the world of faith, family, and fandom in no particular order. Geek out, y'all. Ooh, 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 Debs, Debs, guess what? What? I got a narwhal as a pet. Really? Those actually exist? What? Do they exist? Are you in a whole... Of course they do. Oh, well... If you really want to, we can sing about it. Want to? Huzzah! Monodon monoceros, a marine mammal that lives year-round in the Arctic. Watching it swim and play makes me sentimental. I find it quite cathartic. It has one horn and lives in the sea, known commonly as a narwhal. Would make a better pet than a kitty cat, cause it doesn't cough up hairball. I think I'd rather sit on a cat than on a narwhal, though. Well, y- yeah, no kidding. It's a cross Better than a puppy, cause a, a puppy is a slobbery. Better than a llama, cause the llama would just spit at me. Better than a pigeon, cause a I know they always target me. Better than a cat who treats me with its snobby on you eat. It's the most amazing thing, swimming in the Arctic seas. If you wonder why I have this narwhal idiosyncrasy. It's a cross between a unicorn and a whale. It likes to eat squid and fish and maybe rocks. But orcas it detests I hope its horn is used to fight off pirate ships And repel Viking conquests You'll find them near northern Canada A 
cooler wheel there is no other. And soon there will be one in my house. Just have to convince my mother. You still live with your mom? I, I get my own room. It's a better than a garden worm, a cause they're kinda squishy, and it's better than bathroom mold, cause it's kinda icky. It's, it's better than a duck, cause mum would put it in a fricassee. A better than a rat, even if that made my sister scream. Riding on a narwhal and traversing all the seven seas is the coolest thing I'll ever do. No hyperbole. It's a cross between.